Proverbs 22 and verse 4, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. And another text that reinforced how God blesses the righteous and the wise is that Proverbs 15 and verse 6, great wealth is in the house of the righteous, but trouble is in the wicked, in income of the wicked. Uh, we talked about how wealth is truly a blessing. Proverbs 10, 22. Uh, it is a blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and He adds no sorrow to it. And we talked about some, some good ways to use wealth. Uh, we talked about honoring God with the uh, first fruits of our increase. We talked about using our wealth for needed sustenance of ourselves about how we can use our wealth for financial security and protection, how we can provide for our family, uh, even, as the Bible talks about, through inheritances. We talked about using our wealth to enjoy. Ecclesiastes talks about that. And, of course, we won't want to uh, omit sharing with others. And we'll study more on that later. But uh, here were some questions uh, that that came up. One is, but what about the righteous that don't get blessed with wealth? So these passages that we talked about, you know, it's a blessing from God. Uh, the righteous uh, are blessed by God. Uh, what about then to the unrighteous who are full of wealth and riches? Does this make the meaning of wealth debatable? And if all blessings come from God, then it would seem that God also blesses the unrighteous with wealth. So, thoughts, reactions. How do you deal with questions like that? What do you think, Andrew? My first thought goes to the rain, that God makes the rain fall on them both, um, which tells you that, not that it's uh, random, but that it can go either way for anybody, yeah. and you just kind of have to roll with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. I think Psalm 73 is a cautionary tale about looking at the prosperity, Yes. and it, the end result really was they were on a slippery slope that was leading to destruction. Yeah. And that through the Lord, He had he thought he had nothing, but he had everything. Yeah, yeah, excellent, Nikki. My mind goes to First Corinthians ten thirteen, where it says God's not going to give you more than you can handle. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, some people just can't handle wealth. Right, and I, I think uh, I, I don't think it's uh, inaccurate to think sometimes that God gives us wealth as a test, you know, to to deepen to deepen our our trust in Him. But we can also go the other way. Jesse? I guess my question is, what are we considering wealth? Oh, what are we considering wealth? Yeah. Yeah, it kind of gets, sometimes it gets down to definition. It's a matter of perspective, right? Uh, m most of us don't consider ourselves to be wealthy. That's always the person who has so much more than me. And, and yet, you know, you look at the statistics and people who are at the poverty level in the United States are still in that top tier on worldwide scale, I mean, yeah, it's 
it's sometimes hard to wrap your mind around it whenever you see the the various peoples. Right. But yeah. Yeah. What is also the reality of proverbs that we read? When we read a proverb, what's the reality uh, in that proverb? Again, as we would try to make application here, 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 and here. What's the reality? General statement, not yes. the exceptions. Yes, they are, they are true isms. Wise sayings that generally prove to be true. Not all the righteous and wise will receive great material blessings. And I don't think we should pretend <clears throat> that we always understand what God is doing. Uh, this, this text from Ecclesiastes 8 makes this statement. When I gave my heart to know wisdom and to see the task which has been done on the earth, even though one should never sleep day or night, and I saw every work of God, I concluded that man cannot discover the work which has been done under the sun. Even though man should seek laboriously, he will not discover. And though the wise man should say, I know, he cannot discover. So, <clears throat> it, is, it is maybe not for me to always, you know, have insight into God's will in a given matter, but rather to live God's will in this matter or this situation. Uh, God's purposes will be fill, fulfilled in the way that he sees fit, and that may involve the wicked being prosperous or blessed, and sometimes the righteous maybe not being so blessed. The view, though, that matters is the long view, and uh, we have to keep looking to the end result, as Ryan was pointing out in Psalm 73, uh, the end result of righteousness and wickedness. And just think about Psalm 1, the picture there between the comparing the righteous with the wicked and what the outcome is in the long view. So I'm behind. How about this? The human perspective sees wealth as a blessing and poverty as a curse. God's plan is much greater and uses both wealth and poverty to accomplish His will. We are to avoid the temptation to see wealth as God's only blessing and instead be content in any and every circumstance knowing that God's blessings are not defined by our possessions in this world but are found in their fullness in a kingdom not of this world. So, I think that quote kind of encompasses a number of the comments uh, that were made. Uh, I, I, like, I like this quote by Mark Twain. I am opposed to millionaires, but it would be dangerous to offer me the position. So we're going to talk tonight about the, uh, the warnings regarding riches. And to kind of get us kicked off, let's open our Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll spend the bulk of our uh, text review in the Old Testament, but 1 Timothy chapter 6. Uh, first, let's uh, read verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And would you read that, please? Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into <coughs> and corruption. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. All right, and go ahead, if you would, and drop down and read verses 17 through 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Thoughts, reflections on what we just read, uh, Paul's instructions to Timothy regarding uh, money, wealth, and the rich. What jumps out at you? Jesse? I really like how he points out, uh, who gives us virtually all things to enjoy. Yep. Solomon talks about our heritage Mm -hmm. was the enjoyment and that vanity is when someone's rich and they can't enjoy it so in in the kind of scenario we're talking about it's not the possessions it's the perspective to enjoy those things it's the the most fulfilling yes yes and 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 lots go along with that proper perspective but yes very good and the idea that those who are rich whatever sense that means have some responsibility to recognize that it is a temptation, that it is something that could lead them away, and to be on guard for that. Okay. I mean, and expanding it from financial things, those who are blessed with many talents have that same responsibility mm-hmm. not to let it become something that draws them away. Okay, very good. What else? I guess I really have never noticed this before, yeah. but it says those who want to get rich. Yes. So it depends on your heart. If you if you <coughs> work hard and become wealthy with a lot of money, that's one thing. And if you work in order, I've got to get this money, I just must have wealth, then it's different. So You, you can't look at yeah, you can't look at someone's financial position and draw a conclusion that, oh, they love money, or they wanted to get rich. Well, not necessarily so. But you do have to be careful according to what this... Yes. Yes. Yeah. Craig? Uh, Just prior to this, he's making a contrast of those who are preaching and teaching as a hopes of making monetary gain. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, no, what is true gain is godliness with contentment. And then he does the same kind of contrast um, where he's saying, don't don't love money, don't desire riches. Instead, desire to be rich in good works, in these you know, kingdom treasures that aren't going to fade away. Yeah. Um, we studied, uh, we're studying the seven churches of Asia, and that's something that Jesus says to the church in Smyrna. He says, I know your poverty, but you're rich. You know, from the outside, it may look like you don't have much, yeah. but you've been storing things up in heaven here, and, and Jesus says, "I see that." Yeah, yeah, the long view. Right. Yeah, yeah, good, good. So, name 
named some Bible characters whose lives plainly exhibited that there are dangers in being rich. Their lives exhibited the reality that there are dangers in being rich. You mean? Job's wife. Job's wife. Ah, you know, I had not thought of her. Yeah, yeah. It, the loss really affected her differently than it did Job. Good. The rich young ruler. Absolutely. Yeah. Solomon himself. Ahab. Ahab, yes. Yes. Was not content. Yeah. Yeah. Nabal. Nabal, yes. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Very good. Ananias and Sapphira. Yes, the prodigal son. Judas. Judas, yes. Uh, Hazarius? <coughs> Xerxes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what are you thinking particularly there? Seems like he would make decisions based on whoever gave him money. Okay. I'm thinking like payment. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. And I'm not. I don't think I thought about him exactly in that terms, but yeah. Uh, Achan, Balaam, the rich man with Lazarus, Simon the sorcerer, Lot, Hezekiah, yes, yeah, toward the end. So, uh, lots of lots of examples. So uh, today, today wealth is a danger, and uh, two aims I hope to accomplish is that, that you'll be able to, to name four ways in which wealth is a danger, and explain why wealth is not a good goal for your life. And with that, I'll ask Bob if he'd pray for us. Heavenly Father, we. Uh think about all the good gifts that you have given us in this class, specifically our time, talent, and treasure. And we thank you for the opportunity we have to consider these things and how they're put to use, uh, both to benefit us and to benefit those around us, and in the end, you. Um, Help us to realize that Many of these have to go through life, but time is the one thing that no matter how hard we try, we can't make more of, and we don't have any less of than anybody else around us. How we use it is critical to how all the other things are used. Um, be with those who, um, who are unable to be with us. <coughs> and uh, restore them to their health so that they can join us again and, and lend their thoughts to ours as we consider these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so uh, I want to first talk about uh, keeping wealth in perspective. If I throw out the word materialism, materialism, 
What does that mean to you? You hear that word? What do you what do you think of? The accumulation of possessions. The All glorification right. of the accumulation of possessions. Alright. Good. Yes, Micah. Materialism is not for the rich only. You can be poor oh. and be materialistic. Okay. Okay. So it's not dependent upon your really your your financial status. You can good. Good. As a means to satisfaction and fulfillment. Okay. Through material. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to go along with Micah's comment, you know, we look out in the world today and, and, and it's pretty obvious, right? It seems like a lot of people are, are just chasing that uh, material aspect. But Christians are not immune from this weakness and often find them get themselves getting caught up in materialism. And I think one way that is, that is played out is in the pursuit of wealth. But to avoid making this mistake, some of God's people have gone to the other extreme and tend to see, to tend to see wealth as an evil. And I think it's, it's important that we understand the biblical view of wealth so that we can keep our priorities straight and avoid the dangers that Solomon warns us about. Probably going along with materialism in some, in some ways perhaps uh, might be the, the word workaholism. And uh, it's, I think that's a fairly modern word, uh, but it's not a modern phenomenon. Uh, uh, so Proverbs, Proverbs uh, 23, let's see where I'm at here, Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, do not weary yourself to get gain or to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it is gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings like an eagle that flies toward the heavens. And Psalm 127 and verse 2 says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. A paraphrase of those two uh, passages might go something like this. Don't work all the time just to accumulate stuff. Use your head. Stop it. Why spend all your time and energy chasing after things that don't last? Materialism. Workaholism. We see we see people in the world caught up in this trap, but we can fall into it just as well. We may feel that we can't keep up at work without putting in the long hours. We may work in environments where everyone else is putting in long hours. Or we may just be interested in acquiring more stuff. Uh, whatever reason or rationalization we might make for overworking, when it, when it comes right down to it, you might argue just not using your head. 
When God's people overwork in their pursuit of material possessions, then pride, status, or any other worldly goal, if that's true, Satan wins. I just listened to a podcast where they talked about the fact that uh, Jesus never seemed to be in a hurry. Now, he was busy, no doubt, but it seemed like things would come along and he had time to notice you know, the little man up in the sycamore tree and to, to go have uh, a meal with him. He, he had time and made time to pray. And he got up early and he was up late, but he seemed to ha- make time for the things that were important. And it wasn't truly then the pursuit of things. What, um, what does Solomon say about someone who hastens to be rich? Anybody, anybody answer that question number two? Uh, what does Solomon say about someone who hastens to be rich? Well, look in Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28, and we'll look there at uh, verses 20 and 22. Sarah if you would, go ahead and uh, read those two verses. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that want will come upon him. Okay. People who make wealth their primary goal often become so intent on obtaining it that they fail to be concerned about what they might have to do or who might be hurt in their struggle. Um, Can you think of some uh, applications of this today? Where you, you pursue wealth and others get hurt. Yes. And I mean, they're like it's funny to me because you see all the things that could be good, and in the end, what are you? You really are just looking for temporary things, and I think it's so interesting that obviously Jesus can see past all of those things. So whatever you're going to follow, that's what you're going to get. Yeah. And so if you are going after this, you're going to be left wanting. You know, you're not going to be satisfied. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So in that sense, you, you, you are doing nothing but hurting yourself. Yeah. And I'm thinking kind of like the mortgage lending industry a few years back where they'd give a loan to anyone, mm-hmm. which sounded like a great thing because, oh, they, all these people can buy a house now, yeah. but then they can't make the payments and there's foreclosure and there's bankruptcy and now there's this long tail on on their credit report and they can't get ahead um, for what and it's a matter of oh let's increase our profits and then check out of the market right before it all goes mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. seemed like a good plan not so much yeah yeah we hurt those around us as well uh, whether it's our family uh, from you know 
the pursuit of these things or whether it's uh, not being able to serve others because we're too busy. We're always consumed with, you know, chasing after things. Turn to Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. <clears throat> and let's read verses 8 through 17. Ecclesiastes 5, 8 through 17. Justin, would you read, please? If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun, Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother, mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go, and what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much, much vexation and sickness and anger. So you think about that reading and you think about the futility of making power or position a goal. You know, if they, I just, I just want to be, I just want to be, you know, this level in my company or I want to, I want to own my own company. You know, or if some other goal like that. What, 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 what makes that so empty, so futile. There's always a rung above it. There is always a rung above it. Yeah. Yeah. Even the even the the fallacy, you know, I'm I'm my own boss. Well there's there's somebody who's directing your your next move. Uh, so it is, that's true. No matter how high you go, you still have bosses. It is generally a futile struggle. And as we read, wealth alone cannot satisfy. And if the goal is to accumulate more, this is a lust that can never be fully realized. So, wealth is not a good goal for our lives. And, and as you get more, you your definition of wealth or more <laughs> changes. I mean, yeah. you know, if if all you've got is ten dollars, getting five dollars more is huge. Huge. If you've got ten million, you don't even notice unless there are six zeros. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Yeah. 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 Wealth is too easily lost. It brings with it too much worry, too much trouble, 
how much better it is to live for God, to follow His plan, to enjoy the blessings He gives, and to use them as He directs. Uh, I I love the way it talked uh, here about the working man. The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much. You know, just it talks about uh, you see the contrast then, but not so with uh, the rich man because his full stomach doesn't even allow him to sleep. The ultimate outcome doesn't change either. You you come you go as regardless. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And I love the way that uh, text ended up. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? makes me think of the man, the rich man who um, said, I'm going to break down my barns and build greater. Yeah. And his soul, you know, he died. His soul was required. Um, Wealth gives us a false sense of control. Yeah. Thinking that we have control over that, but there's, so many aspects of our life that we don't have control control over and truly we don't have control over job security or whatever yeah. it is either. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. Hey, feedback with that. It seems like the bigger issue is wanting to be self sufficient. And if you want to be self sufficient, you want to have storehouses, you want to have wealth, you want to have but if you just want God, then he said he'd take care of it. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about it. He, you know, he, he shows us examples of working hard and, and toiling and you know, good good day's work is gonna give you a good night's sleep, but yeah. you don't have to you don't have to be lost on being trying to be self sufficient because it's just not possible. Yeah. What did the uh, what the Malachi reading you shared on on Sunday, what was kinda one of the kind of take home from that? I put you on the spot. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, God's saying, you know, try Him. They had been robbing yeah. God. Yeah. Try Him, trust in Him, and see if He doesn't open up the, the river of blessings. That's yeah. a, not a direct quote. Yeah, but it, it requires us to, to trust God. to Almost, as, as you pointed out, to put Him to the test, uh, which requires us to not be self-reliant. That's hard. All of these things are, are hard. Um, and then Ecclesiastes uh, 6. This, this text, uh, Ecclesiastes 6, verses 1 through 9, this text maybe best summarizes Solomon's thoughts in regards to this. Um, Ecclesiastes 6, 1 through 9. Daniel, would you read that, please? There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in 
vanity, and goes in darkness, and in darkness his name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what, for what advantage has the wise man over the fool, and what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wondering of the appetite. This also is vanity and is striving after wind. Verse 6, do not all go to one place. Uh, the rich, the poor, all, as we've said, they all end up in the same place. And we should live our lives in recognition of that, enjoy what we've been given, rather than this continual pursuit of material, material things that are just going to be destroyed. And that's, for me, what is good about a class like this. We all know this. We've all heard it before. But it's easy to lose sight of. And it's good to be reminded. So, um, this... Uh, topic here that uh, keeping wealth in perspective. Let's talk just briefly about how wealth often leads to pride. Those who are rich are especially susceptible to pride because as has been pointed out, you know, uh, you, you feel like you're in control. Uh, you maybe have all the answers. Your success in the financial arena leads you to believe that you can deal with anything. But like the Old Testament Israelites who turned their hearts away from God when their armies were strong, the rich man may put so much stock in his wealth that he forgets about his need for God. As Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 19 says, he may feel as if his money answers everything. Or, in other words, he feels that his money can provide for every need that he has. So, we have these two texts. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 19. Men prepare a meal for enjoyment and wine makes life merry. And money is the answer to everything. Proverbs 28 and verse 11. The rich man is wise in his own eyes but the poor who has understanding sees through him. So, wealth often can lead to pride. And, of course, uh, wealth can lead to greed. So, I asked you the question number four, how would you explain that greed is an equal opportunity vice? You don't have to be rich to be greedy. All right, back to kind of to Micah's point as well. Okay, all right. Um, wealth, wealth can act like a narcotic. The more of it you get, the more you want, and the harder it is to think of anything else. So Solomon warns repeatedly uh, about this. Proverbs fifteen. 27. Proverbs 15, 27. He who profits illicitly troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. 
you know, why does somebody go to the risk of gaining, you know, illicitly, illegal? Well, probably a number of reasons, but uh, I think greed has got to be one of those. Uh, again, you think about uh, crime maybe for some being exciting or profitable, but Proverbs chapter 1, Proverbs chapter 1, uh, verses 10 through 19, provides perhaps a more clear picture of the conclusion of such a story. Let's read that together. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 10 through 19. Andrew, please. Proverbs 1, 10 to 19. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall find our house with plunder. We shall fill our house with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gains. Uh, it takes away the life of its possessors. Greedy for unjust gain takes away the life of its possessors. Um, look, look next. At, we're going to look at Proverbs 14 and Proverbs 19. Proverbs 14 and verse 20. These passages maybe remind us of the prodigal son that when the money is gone, the greedy friends go away too, leaving us lonely and in despair. Proverbs 14 and verse 20. The poor is hated even by his neighbor, but those who love the rich are many. And then Proverbs 19, uh, beginning in verse 4, and then also verses 6 and 7. Wealth adds many friends, but a poor man is separated from his friend. Many will seek the favor of a generous man, and every man is a friend to him who gives gifts. All the brothers of a poor man hate him. How much more do his friends abandon him? He pursues them with words, but they are gone. So again, uh, warnings against greed. It's been pointed out, we live in a very rich, affluent, uh, a convenient society. But think about, think about envision society of, of Israel in Solomon's day. The vast majority of the people would work hard just to provide a meager existence uh, for themselves and for their families. Every meal, every meal would involve hard work. And in this environment, finding honey, finding honey would be quite an event. A delicious, nutritious meal available with no work required. I stopped here. I thought about this on my way. I stopped at uh, Wendy's on my way and thought, man, how convenient to drive in and like in two minutes I've got supper and I'm on my way. But in their day, finding honey would have been quite the treat. Unlike milk, meat, or many other foodstuffs in the days before refrigeration, honey 
could be preserved for a long time. It would be viewed as a windfall, comparable perhaps to our day, in our day to something like an unexpected inheritance, a contest winnings, or some other pleasant financial surprise. How does Solomon say we should um, react to the, such a windfall as finding honey? Well, in uh, Proverbs 25 and verse 16, he says, Have you found honey? Eat only what you need, that you not have it in excess and vomit it. What's, what's the message there? What's the message? Apply that today. Not honey. Okay, yeah, it's easy to overdo it. There's such a thing as too much of a good thing. Too much of a good thing. And sometimes we don't know it right off the bat. And it's when it's too late, you look back and say, oh, well, I shouldn't have done that. Uh, impulse spending. Money, we say, we, we say what? The money is burning a hole in my pocket. So we spend it. And then we... Look back. Is it? I will. I'll ask for a show of hands. Anybody have a clear memory of a time when you spent money and you almost within a few days realized, oh, I shouldn't have done that? Anybody ever joined a buyer's club? <laughs> or, or there's probably other good examples like that. Yeah. Leanne and I did that one time and, oh, wow, one of the, one of the, one of the uh, costlier mistakes that we made and, and it didn't take but a few days and we realized oh wow that was bad that was a really bad mistake that money was down the tubes and what we thought looked like such a good deal but it was it was feeding it was feeding something within us that said yeah yeah do this and it was not wise so Let's turn to Luke chapter 12. Maybe it would be unfitting to uh, talk about the dangers of greed and not mention what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. Luke 12, and I want to read verses 15 to 21. Luke 12. Heather, can you read that for us? Luke 12, 15 to 21. Take care and be on your guard against all the covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So, thank you Karen, and thank you Heather for reading that for us. Um, lastly, I want to look at warnings against oppressing the poor. Now this might seem kind of odd, wouldn't it? That if you're rich... If you're wealthy, 
why why would you see the need to oppress the poor? But we've we've mentioned some already who did that very thing. Because it's not the wealthy; it's the ones that want wealth. Thank you. And are ready to step over anybody in your way. Right. All right. And then you don't you run the risk of not seeing the poor as real people. They don't have money. Yep. They're not dressed nicely. Yep. They don't smell so good, whatever it happens to be. And they're so they're not they're not really people that we need to worry about. Yeah. They're not our kind of people. Um, if we run over them, oh well. Proverbs twenty two Verses 16 and 22 and 23. He who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or who gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate for the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. Proverbs 72 Verses 2 through 4 and 12 through 14. May he judge your people with righteousness and your afflicted with justice. Let the mountains bring peace to the people and the hills in righteousness. May he vindicate the afflicted of the people, save the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. For he will deliver the needy when he cries for help, the afflicted also, and him who has no helper. He will have compassion on the poor and needy, and the lives of the needy he will save. He will rescue their life from oppression and violence and their blood will be precious in His sight. And maybe similar to this is the the practice that Solomon condemns about uh, the practice of usury or high interest rates, particularly when charged to the poor. Now, I was I listened to another lesson recently on Nehemiah, and this was a problem in Nehemiah's day, but it, it, it has been a problem of all time. Israelites were forbidden from charging usury to their brethren, and were also, they were entreated to be generous to the poor. Uh, Proverbs 28 and verse 8 and verses 15 and 16, He who increases his wealth by interest and usury gathers it for him who is gracious to the poor. Like a roaring lion and a rushing bear is a wicked ruler over a poor people. A leader who is a great oppressor lacks understanding, but he who hates unjust gain will prolong his days. Okay, I got one more thing. We've got time here. Our next lesson is going to be on ways to save. But uh, kind of wrapping up this, uh, yeah, you can't read that, but I'm going to read it to you. This is a letter, uh, uh, an article by Gary Henry in his uh, book Diligently Seeking God, and it's entitled "Less Can Be More," taken from Matthew 16:25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Gary writes. When we seek our ultimate meaning and fulfillment in God, the result is not less enjoyment of this life, but more. It is ironic but true. We get the most this life has to offer when we pay primary attention to something else. Temporal things are best enjoyed serendipitously. They surprise us with the greatest delight at those times when we're busy looking for something else or 
more properly someone else. So by demanding less of this life, we get more than if we had made it our all in all. The good things of God's creation are meant for enjoyment. Solomon said, Here is what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all of his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him, for it is his heritage. Within the limits of their rightful use, temporal things are deeply gratifying. A serious problem arises, however, when we enshrine earthly enjoyments as our God. Not only will we lose our souls for having worshipped the creation rather than the Creator, we will have lost the true joy that comes from the creation itself. A similar principle governs our interaction with other people. Our need for personal relationship is very deep, but we were never meant to find the ultimate fulfillment of that need in our fellow human beings. Only God can perfectly fill our hearts with love. And if we look to those around us to do what God alone can do, not only will we corrupt our relationship with God, we will damage our human relationships with unfair expectations. There is a sense in which we are too conservative about earthly pleasures and human relationships. Like the tight-fisted investor obsessed with protecting his principle, we lose much in the long run by our refusal to put the lesser at risk in order to gain the greater. Not only that, but like Scrooge, we also miss out on the enjoyment of the very wealth that we've attached so much importance to. There is nothing in this world that we'll not enjoy more if we learn to let go of it. Less idolatry means more joy. And C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Thanks for being in class. Thank you.